Guys, welcome back to the NFT Talks podcast. As usual, always have amazing guests, especially like guests when they're from the UK, because uh, I'm biased like that, you know. <laughs> but um, I've got two great guests on. I've got Lee and Luis, and they are from Sonex, uh, which is a music platform uh, where you can listen to great music, support your artists, and engage and monetize, which is fantastic. And um, it's 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 good to get, obviously, Luis and um, Leon because the backgrounds, which is very interesting, which is they bring something special to the space, uh, which is not totally web free, but they're bringing their experience into the space and um, I'm, I'm expecting great things. So thanks for coming on guys. Thank, Thank you. you for having us, man. Um, it's great to be on any NFT talks, Sean. Yeah, it's good to have you. Um, so. Uh, before we get into it, I like I always like to, how's everyone been? Like, how's how's things? How's the Web3 space um, keeping you? Because it's fast paced, a lot going on. Something, some, every day something's happening. So um, how, how's it been for you guys so far? It's, sorry, Lee, go on. No, no, go, go ahead, go ahead. Go on, I was going to say, it's, it's a real change of pace from, um, you know, our, our background is, um, well, we've got, you know, kind of different backgrounds, but there are commonalities. But I think our most recent experience was, um, you know, at a corporate and it was it was fairly slow paced and jumping into Web3, as you said, it's so fast paced. It, it's unbelievable. It's amazing because, you know, we're, we're both doers. We like to get things done. We like to, to action things. Um, and it's it's so kind of um, refreshing being in a space where everyone else seems to be um, on that same level as well. I love that. What about you, Lee? Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly interesting in terms of the characters that you meet compared to um, mm. the traditional space that I've been in. I would say, you know, I kind of sometimes get described as eccentric but compared to some of the people that I've met in web3 I'm quite basic and so yeah it's 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 really been interesting sort of more than anything meeting the people in web3 and everyone seems to have a purpose behind what they're doing which has been really exciting it's sort of they're really in this with a real intention which is great so yeah it's 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 been cool getting to understand the way that web3 currently is yeah, and obviously music is something that is literally, I think it's the next big thing. I mean, I know there's a, a lot of projects, but I feel like music is really going to take off. And it's, I think it's an industry that hasn't really been touched on for many years in regards to disruption since streaming. Um, but with Web3, empowering, empowering creators and basically distributing um, the, the, mon mon the money that can be made across from fans to artists, which I think is really interesting. So um I'd love to hear your thoughts. Before we get into the platform, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what do you think NFTs are going to do for the music industry? Uh, and we'll start with Lewis. I know because I've got to direct it and otherwise you get two users at the same time. <laughs> right. right. Um, yeah, I, I think it's an interesting one. Like looking at what has been done and is, is kind of being done right now in, in the Web3 space for music, it's kind of everyone seems to be very, very focused on master rights, like owning of the tracks, right? Um, and, you know, from, from my experience when I was at Sony, it's kind of, we, you know, it's something, like we were looking at the blockchain and the first obvious use case is kind of like, oh, okay, right, master rights, ownership, payments, okay. And, you know, I, I looked at that and I was just like, this is really exciting. But then, it, you know, immediately it became apparent that with, you know, in order to, to introduce a system like that, everyone, I mean, from the smallest independent label all the way up to, to the majors, would have to agree on what that is right from day one. Otherwise, it wouldn't work. Um, 
and anyone that's worked in the music industry will know getting the majors to agree on anything, let alone, you know, AIM and all the other kind of like, you know, smaller companies is a nightmare on, on anything, like absolutely anything, let alone something so fundamental as how they make their money. Um, so for me, that was kind of, it was interesting to, to see that that's where everyone went, but I don't, you know, I think one day it, it might happen. Um, but I think right now when Web3 is still in its infancy, um, I think there's a lot of better opportunities um, for, for musicians like, you know, fandom, content, identity, things like that. Right. Well, what's your thoughts, Lee? Because obviously you come from a music background too also. Yeah, I think from my side, obviously, um, Lewis kind of spoken like on a technical sort of point of view. My view is more about the shift in power that Web3 allows for artists and the opportunity for them to get some of that power back. You know, I remember I was at NFTLA and I was listening to one of the artists who was saying that prior to her using um, NFTs to um, uh, um, pay for her career, she was saying that she was living in a car and she, you know, had tried to get signed and she had been signed and that it never worked out. But, you know, now that she's been able to build a community and use NFTs to continue to produce her music and 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 make music and live off her music she's basically a millionaire and so she you know listening to her story about you know how much she felt empowered by being able to have a hand in her future was really inspiring to me and so I think more than anything it's gonna really push everybody within the music industry to think about what their role is in an artist's career how are they really you know um impacting it positively or negatively because now the artist has an opportunity to create income so that they can make better choices on how they want to you know move forward with their career yeah tell me if you guys agree i feel like web3 uh for, for years the the biggest contributors have missed out they've lost the, the creators don't make a lot of money, um, especially when it comes to streaming. And then the fans, they don't, they just get the end product, but they don't make any more. But without the fans and without the creator, nothing happens. So who's making all the money? Who's who's one of <laughs> that? So like who for, no one's ever questioned that. But I feel until this is actually being put in front of me and, and look seeing these opportunities being created, I've never really well, yeah, I mean, well, Sean, the, the fact is, you know, when we look at the history of music or the music industry, you know, I think what happened was, you know, after Napster, people did really go into survival mode. And it was kind of like, how do we, you know, monetize music in a way that makes sense? And I don't think streaming services are ever going to go away. I think they are the foundation of um, the music economy at the moment. But what my point of view is is that there's so much more that could be made in the, in this economy we can make this economy so much bigger so there are so many other winners it's not about necessarily replacing what's out there it's about saying that there is way more opportunity to do things better and and also um allow it to benefit more people yeah okay i agree you want to add to that and you want to add anything to that louis yeah i mean i think you know, Lee's absolutely right. For me, like, you know, I guess we'll, we'll get into this when we talk more about the platform, but for me, it always felt like, you know, there are, like, fans are treated as this homogenous mass, 
Um, it's like, oh, this artist fan base behave in this way. And you hear, you know, marketing people and people at labels and talking in those terms. Mm-hmm. And it's quite absolutist. It's quite, okay, this artist fan base is this, or is this, or will do this, or like this. Um, and it's, it's nonsense because any large mass of people have, you know, different idiosyncrasies and different ways of behaving. You can subdivide fan groups by, um, you know, intensity of fandom, like, you know, casual or fanatic and, you know, you know everything in between. Um, and, you know, the way they are both marketed to, but also monetized, um, because they're treated as this homogenous mass, is kind of the same. I think that's a mistake. Um, and, I, and I think with, with the kind of um, the interesting kind of identity opportunities and community opportunities that Web3 creates, I think it, it makes it a lot easier to figure out how to subdivide those. And it's not just fans of artists, it's any kind of mass of people, how to subdivide those and then service them better. Because by not servicing each subgroup of your fans in the way that they should really be spoken to and treated, you're leaving money on the table. Yeah, and, and that I think that's happened for years. I mean, I think everyone's under the, the impression that you need millions of fans to have a career uh, as a creative uh, in any way, whereas there's always that trial. If you've got that thousand hardcore fans that support you and you connect with them, um, then there's a there's a there's an opportunity for you to monetize. But I feel that there's been that disconnect from the artists to the fans. I mean, so I, I don't know if you guys agree with that. Um, I love I always love love a challenge if that isn't the case. But what's your thoughts? Yeah, I, do, you, do you agree? Yeah, I, I think so, so. I think what you're referring to is that Kevin Kelly article, right? The, the thousand true fans thing. That's that's like actually a massive influence on um, one of the many influences, but uh, you know, a big part of of what we took into ideating uh, the Sonics platform and, and how it works. Um, because you know, and, and back to my point about artists leaving money on the table, it is if you're you know if you have even a hundred, you know, but especially a thousand true fans. If they're, you know, on the on the higher end of, of that kind of fan behavior, if they're the fanatics, for example, if you're monetizing them efficiently, um, you don't need any other fans. You, you might have them and you might be able to monetize those in other ways, like, you know, sort of more passively like Spotify or whatever. But if you are effectively monetizing the most hardcore of your fans, um, you know, and, and, and monetization can sometimes sound sort of... Um, exploitative and that's you know that's not what i'm talking about it's, it's giving them value because they, they have more money in, in their pockets that they would want to spend if the opportunity to do it was there and it made sense and it was something that they wanted and that's what i mean about servicing those fans efficiently if you were doing that as an artist um if you were able to do that to identify who they were which actually is one of the biggest challenges in the first place for an artist because they don't own the data um, so to, to be able to identify who they are and then to be able to service them efficiently you, that would be a career you would make a living out of that um, and, and that would actually give you a lot more freedom. And I, and I think um, also, you know, there, there's nothing on, online that lets artists do that, that's specifically geared towards that. Um, social media kind of goes a bit of the way, but it's, again, it's a homogenous mass and it's difficult to pick out the kind of, you know, the quality relationships. Um, it's, it's very challenging for artists to do that. And, but also the way that fans behave, there's nothing that really reflect what, how the fans behave in real life as well. Like, and this is, this is the other thing, a bit of a tangent now, apologies, but you know, if you think about how fans behave in real life, you know, let's say they're going to a concert, right? You know, the first thing they'll do, fans will go to like, you know, smaller concerts and then they'll tell all of their friends when this band gets bigger. Oh, I was, you know, I was there first. Okay. I, I, I was there before. But we all do it. Like, I can see you're smiling, right? Cause we all do it. It's, it's, it's a bit of a kind of crappy thing to do, but we all do it, right? Um, you know, and, and they'll, they'll get like, you know, a plectrum or a set list or a drumstick or something, some little trinket from the band, um, you know, and they'll keep their ticket stub or their wristband or whatever the kind of 
you know, the, the, the ticket sort of form factor is. And they'll have this little shrine almost in their bedroom of like ticket stubs and, you know, wristbands and set lists and all these little bits and, you know, signed pictures and whatever the hell it is, you know, and there's nothing online that lets you do that, nothing. Um, you know, and, and the, the fans that behave like that are the ones that fit into the, to, to this kind of, uh, you know, hardcore fan group that, you know, that I'm talking about. And it's, it's, that it was always weird to me. I mean, this isn't a new idea, but I, I might, you know, I kind of came through, you know, artist management and, and promotion into kind of tech and, and, and the music industry. And like, it, it, the whole time, it seemed weird to me that there was nothing catering to that online. It was just like, why, why doesn't that exist? Yeah. Um, so I guess those are the two things, like artists being able to identify and service those hardcore fans and actually having a value proposition for those hardcore fans that makes sense to, to what they're doing in the real world. Yeah, and this is something that you guys have clearly identified and almost looking to create the solution for that in Web3. So before we get into obviously Sonics, I always like to, because your docs teams are so important, <laughs> uh, people showing their faces, what their backgrounds, can they deliver and what they're going to say, that's also important. Say pre-2022, that wasn't a problem, but now people are actually looking at that. <laughs> so um, I'd love to hear your guys' backgrounds first. And like, first of all, wait, what you've been doing for the last, say, 10 years or so, or probably longer than that. But And then how did you find yourself working together to create this platform so uh start with lee like tell me a bit sure. about <laughs> yeah so you know first of all I, I i never wanted to work in the music industry it wasn't something that i was looking to do in any way um and i'll tell you a bit about how i ended up at sony music but um i started uh, wanted to be a fashion editor so um i went to to fashion b-tech did a fashion b-tech my last year there i um ended up doing an internship at Cosmopolitan magazine. I came back with an attitude and basically was like, they don't do any of this stuff here. So I'm never gonna go to university. Um, so I ended up going, okay, I'm gonna take two years that I would have done university interning, interned at like Harper's Bazaar, Vogue, et cetera. Realized how much editors actually made as in money. And I was like, that's not gonna work for me. So then I ended up doing fashion PR for a while. Um, at a luxury e-commerce company called matchesfashion.com. I will always say that fashion, although people see it as frivolous um, as an industry, it's one of the best sort of training I ever had because it's really an industry where you are working on many different things at the same time, but you also have to get it right. And the standard is really high. And I've been able to sort of take that into everything else I'm doing, including what I'm doing now. Um, kind of got, I, I ended up working at a startup for a while called Skinny Dip. They sent me to New York for two years and part of what I was there was for to um, launch them in America and launch two stores, one in the World Trade Center and one in downtown Soho. And then after that, I was kind of like done talking about handbags, done talking about clothing. What can I do next? Ended up working um, at a talent agency called Intertalent, um, where I used to um, manage Cara Ampho from Radio One, um, Patricia Bright, who's you know a massive YouTuber. Um, Nicola Adams, who's a gold medalist, and Montana Brown from Love Island, so a good assortment there. Um, and what happened was, I think I would still be doing that if the guy who owned the agency didn't make some really bad business decisions. And so when he did, the girls sort of wanted to distance themselves from him, and um, uh, they all ended up leaving. So um, I had done a podcast deal with Sony Music for Cara, and... Um, the guys at Sony um, really liked 
me and what I was doing and so asked me to come and lead their talent division and what that meant was not looking after the artists in the building but working with talent outside of the building on artist campaigns so that was everything from um influencer campaigns to you know if an artist needed an uh, a, a presenter to do a Q&A about what their album's about to an album launch party so the scope was wide which was great because I get I got to work with lots of different artists and I was introduced to lots of different genres of music but I guess what led me to Sonics was the fact that you know I guess I was an outsider to the music industry because of you know, it wasn't something that I was searching to do. Because I was an outsider, I guess I questioned what the status quo was. And really it was the pandemic that, you know, really, um, I guess, encouraged me to, to move forward with this because, you know, I started seeing independent signed artists on Instagram saying they had no money. Mm-hmm. And I found that to be really weird. So when I looked at their streams, I was like, well, you have 500,000 streams. How do you not have any money? And when I continue to dig, I realized that 500,000 streams is like 2,000 pounds. And, you know, if you're signed, 85% of that goes to the label. And then the 15% that you keep, you've got to pay your band, your makeup artist, your, your manager, etc. So you could end up with five pounds in the end. Right. And so I started seeing these artists off their own back going and using platforms like Bandcamp and OnlyFans and Patreon. And I felt that there was something that we could create that was a little bit sexier not problematic, um, but also helps artists to sort of um, uh, learn more about their fans as well. Obviously, I have no technical ability. You just heard about my whole career. I I, I can't code. And so I started thinking about, you know, I was approaching developers and a lot of them, you know, God loved them, didn't want to turn on their cameras, was hard to have a conversation with. And so I was like, this is not going to work for what I'm trying to do and certainly not for my kind of personality. So, you know, I was working with Lewis um, at Sony and I stalked his LinkedIn, realised he'd been at Sony for five years. I wanted to leave after two years. And so I was like, you've been here double the time. You must really want to leave. And so I told him what I wanted to do. And, um, and luckily he really, you know, liked it. And I kind of see Lewis as a unicorn in the sense that obviously he's got an amazing technical background, but also really cares about the fan experience and music as a whole and that's something that I was going to find really hard to find in you know in a a partner so um yeah I'll let Lewis talk about sort of his background and 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 the things that he brought to Sonics which is why it's where it is today yeah cheers so um I mean, I, I, I was always interested in, in like computers as a kid and, and I remember you know I went to a state school and they um, well, for, for the latter part of my education and the, the, the IT course there was like useless and also you had to stay on after school on a Friday and it was only half a GCSE and it was all like Excel and Microsoft Publisher and I was just like, oh my God, I don't care. Um, yeah, I, I was just completely unmotivated to do that. But I still wanted to learn this stuff, right? Like, well, not that specifically, but like, you know, I wanted to, to figure out, like the internet was really interesting to me. I wanted to figure out how websites were made and all the rest of it. So when I was like 15, 16, I actually taught myself coding at home after school. Um, two days a week, I'd spend like a couple of hours twice a week and, and, and kind of taught myself web development. So it was, you know, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, just kind of the basics. Um, you know, and then I kind of kept that with me. Like as I was going through college and, you know, I went to university for a bit and did journalism, which didn't pan out and I dropped out. But um, that's another story. But um, I kind of kept the, the web development with me and, and sort of did, you know, freelance on the side or whatever, whenever I 
money in. Like it kind of felt like this tap that I could open, which was great. It was a very fortunate position to be in. Um, you know, but obviously through doing that, I'd, I'd uh, you know, I, I, I learned a lot. Like if, if I found a client and they wanted something um, that I didn't know how to do, I'd just say yes and figure it out what I was doing. <laughs> um, I hope they don't listen to this. But yeah, you know, and, and, and that, but that's how you do things. That's how you figure things out. So I kind of kept that with me, but then that gave me the freedom to kind of do, you know, in terms of uh, career, university and, and, and jobs and all the rest of it, kind of whatever I was interested in, as opposed to what was kind of expedient and, and, and made the most sense. You know, it was all less pragmatism and more interest and intrigue, right? So, um, so I started a music website. Uh, as I said, I, I was doing a journalism degree and I started a music website, like reporting on gigs and concerts and stuff. To be completely honest with you, it was, it was just a way to, to kind of get free tickets uh, to concerts while I was at university because, you know, students are always skinned, right? Um, and the, the concept was, um, this was when MP3s were king, right? And it was just like, you get a free MP3, um, you know, with every interview or feature that we do, we, we'd, we'd take a track from the artist and say, we're going to give this away for free. But to get it for free, you had to sign up to the mailing list, right? So if you were logged in, you could just download it. If you weren't, you'd, you'd have to sign up. And, and this is before GDPR, you could be a bit more, you know, you could push the envelope a bit more with data like that. But anyway, you know, it, it blew up. We built this enormous mailing list. We knew what artists they liked. We ended up doing um, press at like, you know, festivals, you know, Reading, Benicassine, um, we were kind of all over the place. I, I, I just wanted a couple of free tickets to like something at Brixton Academy, you know, but it, it really blew up. Ended up with a team of like seven writers. We were doing video content before anybody was really doing that. Um, it was great. It was, it was really good fun. Um, never made any money out of it. And that really wasn't the goal. But what happened then, I kind of fell into event promotion. So um, Notting Hill Arts Club, you know, I was talking to them and they were like, oh, we need someone to to book um, Death Disco, which had been, you know, it used to be Alan McGee's night, been running for years, it's a really famous night, but it kind of hit the skids because Alan had retired. So I started booking that, um, you know, that, that was really fun. And, and I did event promotion for a few years and then kind of fell into artist management, started an artist management company, had about um, seven different artists over a period of about five years. Um, but, you know, by this point, I was kind of 27 years old, not really making huge amounts of money. And I was kind of like, I should probably get a real job. And like the whole time while I was doing all of this, I was still doing web development on the side like for my artists, for the, the brands of the nights that I was doing for random clients as well. Kind of all this stuff, you know, and, um, you know, eventually I was like, yeah, I should probably get a real job. Um, so I went and got a job at this agency and it was just soul destroying, you know, um, absolutely hated it. I went web development job, sorry, um, an agency, hated it. And then, but then this job at Sony came up for a web developer, Sony Music. And I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's a good mix of like my interests, right? Let's, let's have a go at that. Got the job, um, ended up getting promoted to, to lead web developer relatively quickly. Um, and uh, and that's where I met Lee, obviously. And, and that's where he kind of came to me with um, with this idea for Sonic. So so my background and what I bring to Sonic, obviously, you know, apart from the, the tech side, is a, is a kind of an understanding of the music business from, I guess, like more of an independent artist point of view. Um, and also like from my time, especially as a promoter, but kind of the whole time, really like personally, I really, really obsess over the behavior of fans, like how they go about being a fan just blows my mind like I'm you know I'm obviously you know we're both huge music fans as well but um that always really interests me so that was you know Lee came to me with this idea and initially it was you know as he said kind of a like a premium content platform something along the lines of like OnlyFans Patreon obviously without being problematic or kind of dusty like Patreon is right but um you know I was like well it's it's great but I, I don't I don't feel that it's unique enough like uh, uh, alongside those brands. But at the time, what I was doing, I was researching the blockchain and NFTs for, for Sony and kind of educating the business on, well, one of the people that was educating the business on, on how that would work and how it would apply to, to the music industry. Um, you know, and I was like, huh, let me, let me think about how this could work for fans. Because I, I really liked Lee's idea and I really wanted to work with Lee. 
but I, I just didn't see where the value proposition was for fans. But the, so that's when, you know, I started around like, you know, how we could create this, this value chain that, that, that worked for both the artists and the fans. And, and, you know, that's where we started working together. That's when we both realized there was really something in this and, and the, rest is, the rest is history. So, uh, so that's the, the, the great combination to form obviously Sonics, like, let's, let's get into the platform. Let's t- let's, what, what, is, what is Sonics? Tell me about it. I mean, we can, mingle between the both years, you can bounce off the back of each other, but obviously Lee, you can start and then we, we'll just go. So I'll, I'll ask questions as we go along. Yeah, so, you know, primarily Sonics is an opportunity for artists to create additional revenue from their core fan base and build a community around that fan base by uh, exclusive content, NFTs and physical merch. But also what it allows the the fans to to do is to earn off of their engagement. And so we are super, super focused in in taking the current model, which is a fan base and um, transitioning into a community and you know a fan base is sort of one way it's sort of the artist always taking from the fan a community is reciprocal so you know when people are always talking about you know the attention economy being so saturated I think the next step is the fact that people are going to have to be paid for their attention yeah. but these are people that want to be there and these are people that are subscribed to Sonics because they're a huge fan of that artist what we're doing is rewarding them with um uh, Sonics coin and NFTs for their engagement and you know it's it's without saying that they're probably going to spend that Sonics coin with that the artist that they're subscribed to and so you start to have this sort of reciprocal um, uh, behavior which I'm talking about but Lewis can talk more about the the, the marketplace, which I always sort of hand over to him. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, um, you know, the, the I mean, just, just to kind of scene set a little bit. So Sonics is very much a kind of a Web3 platform dressed up as a Web 2.0 platform, right? And, and, and this is very much a factor of like, we don't, there, there's a lot of Web3 platforms that are like, if you're not a crypto native and if it's your first foray into Web3, you're not going to understand. Yeah. And obviously that's not the route that we wanted to go down. We, we wanted to have basically a web 2.0 offering that was compelling enough for people to want to sign up regardless of who they were and kind of by by doing by using the platform they can learn how web 3 works so it's i mean it's as much a kind of almost like a learning platform as much as it is a content and, and and fandom platform but you know what what happens with the nfts rather than buying them and i think you know again back to kind of like fan behavior that there, there aren't any fans that are buying nfts in, in, in the current ways that, that they're being marketed i mean if you look at like what grimes did and she made i think it was like six million five or six million dollars in like a few minutes selling selling nfts that's just one example um you know and, and i think the most expensive one was like 400 grand or, or slightly under and the cheapest yeah, yeah. one was like seven grand or something it's like your fans aren't buying those. Your fans are not, they don't have that kind of disposable income. That is investor behavior. So what you're doing is you're cutting your fans, excuse me, you're cutting your fans out of a value chain that benefits people who are already rich um, for a short-term cash injection that doesn't benefit your career long-term. Nobody wins except the investor, not even the artist. The artist wins short-term, obviously. Um, You know, so it was like that, to me, that just doesn't make any sense, right? And again, like for the fan, there's no value proposition. So it's like, well, how can we, you know, how can we make this make sense? Because the problem is if you make the NFTs kind of, you know, cheaper, right? And, and there's still value in them. And there's just, you know, they're just a little bit more affordable. What you'll start to get is just a load of scalpers, right? You'll get bots buying them up, waiting until they increase in value and then selling them. So it's like, right, okay, well, how can we create this value chain, freeze out the scalpers and delight the fans and make it make sense for the artists, right? So this is, this is what we're taking on. Um, so where the NFTs come in, 
you know, once the once a fan gets access to an artist community, which is via these you know content subscriptions, um, any purchases that they make within that community it could be tickets, it could be physical merchandise, it could be digital merchandise. Um, they come with a free NFT. So it's essentially a digital version of the thing that you purchase. So when we come back to, you know, what I was talking about, the, the shrine in the fan's bedroom, they have yeah. these like all the ticket stubs and the wristbands, right? So let's say you buy, you know, a ticket, right? Um, when the artist, you get an NFT, which is like a digital ticket stub. When the artist lists a show on Sonics, um, the, the, uh, the venue uh, capacity is taken into account. And we have a very simple algorithm that figures out the best way um, to, to define the rarity of the NFTs that come with it. So say for example, like uh, I'm gonna use a ridiculous example, but it shows it really, really well. Imagine you have a venue with a capacity of 1,111, yeah. right? Which sounds like a random number, but it'll make sense when I go through this. What the algorithm will do is say, okay, well, there's one one of one, there's 10 one of tens, yeah. there's a hundred one of a hundreds, and a thousand one of thousands, right? And then the, the, the way that you get the rare ones, it's about speed of acquisition. The first person to buy a ticket for that show through Sonics, We'll get the one of one. The next ten will get the one of ten. The next hundred get a one of hundred, and, and, and so on and so forth. And this algorithm figures out the optimum way to divide out the um, uh, the rarity at the point that it's listed. So the artist doesn't need to go and mint these NFTs, right? When the show is listed, the system just figures it out and mints them for them. They can upload, you know, the the, the artwork and, and, and the things that they want. They have control over the, the, the visual aspects, the things that they, they'll you know inherently understand. But the, the tech of how that works, the system takes care of it. Um, and then these NFTs are held in uh, in a wallet until such time as, as they're required, right? So then someone buys it. When you sign up for, for Sonics, you get your own wallet, the same way you would with like Coinbase or Binance. There's a wallet built into your account. Um, you know, you, you acquire this NFT as soon as you buy the ticket. Or And it's the same with a piece of merchandise. Say you're buying a hoodie, right? Um, it's the same thing. When the hoodie is listed, the, the amount available goes into this algorithm. The NFTs are minted. When you buy, buy one, you get the NFT as well. And that's immediate. Obviously, you know, a, a hoodie needs to be packed up and shipped out. It takes a few days to arrive. But you get this NFT for free. Now, I know what the question is going to be. Okay, go on, go on. Go on. Where's the value? Where's the value in free NFTs, right? And uh, am I right? Is that what the question was going to no, be? I wasn't... Oh, no, initially I wasn't going to ask that. My, my question, I was going to make it very basic because I'm thinking, because you've, you've, you've said you subscribe, yeah? Hmm. Is that like through NFTs, you buy an NFT and that's your subscription or is it literally just subscribing as you would No, that, 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 that's, that's all just, you know, it's, okay. it's either, so, it's either so, fiat currency, you can pay with a card or you so can what, pay with where are you Where are you um, stopping the scalping with the bots? How does that get, uh, can, yeah? Right, okay, yeah. so... <laughs> The, the value in the NFT, and, and it's basically it's the same answer. So the question that I okay. thought you were going to ask, the question you have asked is actually the same answer. So um, the, the, the value of the NFTs is, is relatively small, you know, even if you get one of one, because they're free, right? And it's, it's this kind of side effect of the thing you actually wanted, which is the ticket, the hoodie, the whatever, right? So, you know, this thing that you don't even really understand if you're not a kind of web free native, right? You get this thing, you're like, oh, I, I don't care. I've got the ticket, that's all I wanted, right? Or I've got the hoodie, that's all I wanted. But what artists can do, the, the NFTs, rather than being, you know, don't, don't think about them uh, as an investor, think about them as an artist. They're packets of data. They allow the artist to look out into the community because the artist can see where all the, their NFTs are. It allows the artist to look out into the community and say, okay, well, you know, who are my biggest fans? Of my biggest fans, because the people there are all subscribing, so you can already assume that all of them are big fans, but of my biggest fans, who are the biggest, biggest fans? Who's paying attention? Who's the most engaged, right? Um, so they can they can look out and, and see, you know, who's got the rarest NFTs or the highest concentration of NFTs or, or, or whatever it is they can figure out. And what they can then do is they can inject perks 
into these NFTs after acquisition, right? So, you know, they can, maybe they're doing an underplay show with a, you know, a small venue, like a, like a record store day or a 100 capacity venue, pre-album, you know, whatever, right? Um, and maybe they want to give away all the tickets for free, but they want to make sure it's their, their biggest fans, right? Because as an artist, that's actually a compelling proposition. You want to make sure that the people that are there for your underplay show are the ones that really give a shit, right? Sorry, can we, can we start on this? I've said it anyway. <laughs> um, so, you know, you can, you can look out into a community and be like, okay, well, cool. Who are my uh, 100 big fans in London, Stockholm, New York, wherever, right? And you can know that, right? And you can say, okay, well, I'm going to inject a free ticket for this show into these NFTs because these people live in London, Stockholm, New York, wherever, and they've got these NFTs. So the NFT then it takes on a life of its own. It has a value, right? And it's not just about underplay shows. It could be anything, you know, it could be a meet and greet. It could be something on platform. You know, we can create limited chat rooms, limited voice rooms, limited video call rooms that the, the users can, can, can have discussions in. So the artist, or it could be a discount, a free ticket for a future tour, 20 quid off a t-shirt, whatever, you know, whatever they want, right? Um, you know, so the, the NFTs then become these, uh, you know, these markers of like, okay, I, I'm, I can see you as an artist, I can see you as a fan. It's the reason fans go to the front row, they want to be seen by their artists. I can see you are a huge fan, and I'm going to reward that. It's the artist directly reaching out to you and deciding that you deserve this, right? So that's very powerful for a fan, but it's also very powerful for an artist. It's giving them not just data that they don't have access to, but actionable data because they can, they, they can take that and use it. Where it beats the scalpers is that acquiring an NFT doesn't guarantee you a perk because it's up to the artist. Yeah, but okay, so this, okay, I understand that, but we've seen this happen to NBA Top Shots, whereas you, you couldn't get, you couldn't even get a, a, one of the packs. And so, and people will buy numerous packs unless they put a limit on there. Now, if what's stopping a whale from coming in and saying, "Okay, then look, I know how your system works. I, that's my that may be my favorite artist, but I'm just going to buy as many tickets as possible, or the, the limit them out every time you do it. Uh, collect the NFTs and sell the ticket uh, on a secondary market. But then they collect the NFTs. So on on the way it looks, they look like the biggest fan. They don't have to attend." They don't have, but they look what the big sign because they got all the NFTs. Um, what stop? I know, I know it's why would somebody do that, but people do this, face it. So, what's yeah, absolutely, people, what's people, some people use the system, you know what I mean? So, the the, the tickets are um settled via the Ticketmaster Partner API, so that's you know, that they already have systems in place to prevent scalpers, so the, the, the tickets are fine in terms of the merchandise. In order to get access to the artist merch store in the first place, you have to be a paid subscriber. Now, when you're talking about whales and investors, there is absolutely zero data to show that they have, they have um, that th those behaviours to so subscribe to an artist and be quick enough off the mark to, to do that, right? And if they're going to do bots, then they have to pay a subscription for every single bot, which they're not going to do. It doesn't make financial sense because paying all of those subscriptions on the off chance that not only you get the right NFT, but that the artist later injects a perk into it. Also, the time decay is an issue because an artist might inject a perk into an NFT one year after it was acquired, yeah, right? Because yeah. they, they, you know, the, the artist doesn't care. They're just like, okay, well, where are the rarest ones, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter when it was acquired. So like all of these factors, just it, like there is absolutely zero data that um, scalpers or whales will wear any of this. Where the whales will come into the ecosystem, because because you know at, what Sonics was built to do is to reward fan behaviors that we have years and years and years of data to show that fans show these behaviors. How can we reward those, right? So that's what it was built to do. And what that also does is as much as possible mitigates um, entry to the market at, at the primary to the market of people who are not fans, right? Which is, that was the goal, that's the intention, right? Now, 
where the whales and investors and, and that kind of user will come in is the secondary marketplace, which is what Lee actually handed over to me for. So apologies, Lee, I've been rambling for five minutes. But um, so the secondary marketplace um, is where users, fans can, can buy and sell their NFTs to, to each other, right? Yeah. Um, now, the currency on the secondary marketplace is only our utility token, Sonic's point. Um, so there's no fiat currency on the secondary marketplace. Now, obviously, there's nothing stopping a whale from, you know, setting up uh, a Sonic's account buying a whole bunch of uh, Sonics coin on, you know, a, a decentralized exchange somewhere, transferring it into their Sonics account and just buying up the best stuff, right? But there's, there's, two, there's two things there. Firstly, fans have an emotional attachment to assets that investors don't have, right? Which means they're less likely to sell the rarest ones, right? Sure. And secondly, when they do, I mean, look, you know, the value of something will get to a point where you're just like, I'm tapping out. I can't, even, I can't afford to hold on to it, right? No matter how good it is, you know. Um, so, you know, that, that will happen. And when that does happen, you know, maybe another fan buys it, maybe a whale comes in and buys it and is speculating on, on the future value. But what's happened is rather than, you know, I, I gave the example of Grimes and I don't want to single her out because a lot of artists have done it. But, you know, where that, you know, sale direct to the market and direct to whales cut the fans out, what happens here is you're making whales out of fans. The real goal for artists, by the way, is either to make fans out of investors, which is never going to happen because they don't display the behaviors, or make investors out of fans, which at the moment isn't going to happen because the majority of them don't have the resources. What this does is gives them, gives them the resources because when whales do come in, who are they making rich? Okay, the artist gets a 20% royalty at the sale, right? The, the, the platform takes its fee, but the rest, which is the vast, vast, vast majority of that sale, goes to the user selling it. And what behaviors do they have? What do we know about them? They spend their money on artists. Right. So where's that money going? It's going back back to the artist anyway. Right. So rather than making rich people that aren't going to buy your stuff and aren't going to invest in you emotionally or, or financially long term, it's the complete opposite. You're making whales out of people who already do spend money on you. Mm. And that's the magic of Sonics, both for the fan and for the for, for the, the artists. I love that, Lewis. I love that. I love, I love I love the way you explained it to you. I mean, even though I challenge you just just to just to question because people may be asking this question, but sure. you can explain. So, yeah. I'll, OK, that's fair enough. I mean. Louis, I mean, Lee, let's go on to the, the talents, people that are coming in uh, to this, like, what kind of people, are gonna, what kind of, have you got? Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, I mean, yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, it's, uh, it's still top secret because we, we want it to, to we want to make sure that there's a big, you know, um, marketing campaign and surprise when we do unveil whoever it is. But I will say this, one thing that's super important about Sonics, and I kind of, led on to it earlier on when I was talking about the artists that I saw at NFTLA is that, you know, it is really important that we have artists that are established that optically make the brand seem legit, etc. However, it's even more important to me that we have artists on the platform that can really earn a living off of what they make on Sonics. And that to me is the biggest, you know, if not one of the biggest, you know, values behind the brand and one of the biggest, you know, reasons why we're doing this. It's about artists being able to make a living off of their music and use that money to continue making music and so what I mean by that is that what you will see from Sonics is a scope of artists you will see established artists that people recognize you also will see diversity of genre because I feel like some platforms some social media popular social media platforms live out and leave out um, genres like jazz and classical and and rock and you know rock has some of the most intense fans ever but also you'll see a diversity of market too you know when you look at um what's going on in africa or latin american artists the fandom there compared to the us or the uk or the eu is completely different like these fans want to live in that in the same house as the artists that they follow and, and, and so 
K-pop, K-pop. crazy. Exactly. <laughs> so that to me, you know, somebody yeah. that is working on the talent side, that is the most exciting part is being able to really get involved with artists that, you know, we aren't so accustomed with and figuring out what makes their fans tick as well. But more than that, it's working with artists that aren't established yet, that might not be breaking for a while, but saying, you know, at Sonics, you're able to continue making a living off of the money you make here. Yeah, and I think that's a great approach because I feel that the NFT space, especially at the start, it was all about making money, flips and whatnot. You, you turn into that. But I feel that in order for the space to grow, we need platforms, tools to help people grow themselves within the space, which that's something that you guys are focusing on. And I, to, today, I haven't really seen uh, anything, any other platforms that are focusing the way, the, the approach that you've taken. However, however, and I'll ask this question because it's recent. What about, you talked about subscription, you talked about followers, talked about fandom. So Instagram have now talked about the, they're going to, They've got the subscribing, they've got the following, they've got all the attention. They're talking about they're gonna have NFTs and whatnot. Are they competition now? I mean, that they consider competition. Do you want me to take that one? Yeah, go on. Anyone that is taking attention from anyone else is competition, right? Like in the attention economy. So it, to, to that end, Instagram were competition before they before this announcement. Right. Like, any, you know, even even like Netflix, Disney Plus, you know, whatever. Right. Like it's all competition because at the end of the day, every platform wants as much eyeball time as possible. Right. I think the difference here is about uh, I think where Instagram are going to struggle. It's about positioning and it's about habit. Um, Lee, like Lee and I were discussing this the other day and he made a really, really great point. Um, people aren't used to spending money on Instagram. They, you know, they announced shopping and everyone thought it was going to change the world. It was going to be like the, the, the next boom of e-commerce. And it, it hasn't. It's it's not a fantastic user experience and, and nobody really bothers. Like, I mean, I not that I'm aware of. I don't know anyone that has bought anything from Instagram shopping. And, uh, you know, I, I'd love to know if you guys do. But, you know, and that's, that's not to kind of like, you know, um, to kind of shit on Instagram or anything. It's just that, you know, I, I think the behaviors and you, you can tell like i said at the top of the call right like i'm i'm obsessed with user behaviors and fan behaviors mm -hmm. there is no data to show that anyone wants to spend money in instagram and in fact there is data to show that they don't okay well, I, yeah i guess i have um i agree but i also have a different viewpoint i love the fact they're doing nfts i think it's amazing i i i, I want i want twitter and um snapchat and tiktok i want everyone to do it because it helps us in terms of getting people to understand what nfts are right. the more that it becomes part of the zeitgeist the better it is for us because sonics isn't about having every single person on a platform it's about the people who want to be seen as an individual by the artist um joining a community instagram will never be a community platform it's never going to be that and if you watched where the pendulum is going, you know, my friend's got a platform called Somewhere Good. And it's about um, creating a safe space for diverse voices to have real conversation. And she's taking people from Twitter to her platform because people are feeling the need to be in slightly smaller spaces where they can be seen by people that think the same as them. And you're never gonna have that with Instagram. So it's, I think it's great mm. for us because, you know, 
I get asked every single day, what, you know, what is an NFT? What are you actually doing? And all that kind of stuff. And if, if Instagram can help us get people to understand what that is, then I think that's fantastic. I think it's amazing. Will Instagram change the artist's um, current issue of not having money from what they're doing? I will say no. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think they're suddenly going to make so much money from, from their Instagram profile without being able to give their users a different experience to make them feel like they should have to spend more money with them. That's number one. Number two, it doesn't change the fact that we are still focusing on rewarding fans for their engagement in a way that Instagram doesn't. And I don't think will for a while. So, you know, um, I, I welcome it. I think it's exciting. I think, you know, a lot of people sometimes when they see the big players doing things like the shopping example that Lewis gave, they decide that they're going to change their whole strategy and it's all over because the, the, you know, big boss is coming in and taking over. I welcome it. I think it's amazing and I want everyone to do it. Yeah, I, I guess that your, your, your job is to bring the art, explain to the artists the, the benefits of what you're bringing and just bring them onto your platform. It still can be on Instagram, but I guess that if they're pushing what you're doing <laughs> on Instagram yeah. to bring, the, bring over the hardcore fans, then I guess it's going to be beneficial for you. So yeah, I, the I get Yeah, yeah the yeah. hardcore fans at the moment have no identity on, that, on the artist profile on Instagram. None. They're just in a sea of all the other people that, you know, are typing, you know, I commented first or, you yeah. know, that artist looks like crap or whatever, you know, they're in a... When are you coming a... to Brazil? <laughs> That's always in... the one, isn't it? When are you coming to Brazil or when are you coming to Mexico? You, yeah. yeah, they're in a, you know, a, just a large crowd of, mm, of people. Yeah. But you see how fans react at a live show when the artist points to them and can yeah. see them as an individual. That is what we're offering, the opportunity for the artist not to just know what your Instagram handle is, but to understand that you are different from the crowd. Yeah, and another thing that you guys focus on, what I've seen in the in the video, is that for the art for the for the artist to like kind of get rid of all the trolling and the the negative behavior and whatnot. If you have you, we assume that the hardcore fans are gonna not going to be doing that. So uh, having a community that is just very encouraging and they want you to win, and by you winning, they win. Uh, I think that behavior is great, uh, which hasn't really happened. <laughs> no, 100%. I think that, like, you know, I worked with talent, not just mu music talent, but talent across the board that really was suffering with the amount of negativity they get on these platforms that are so big. And it's really hard for these platforms to moderate such large amounts of people. And they, you know, they want to have a space which they can test new music or they can ask questions about their last music video or where they should tour next and all that kind of stuff without the the the, the negativity and nastiness frankly that goes on, on on those platforms and you know for us there is no anonymous profiles you know you, you cannot join sonics and want to participate in an AMA with an artist as an anonymous person because by subscribing you're telling me that you want the artist to see you as an individual why are you paying to be here to be anonymous Question, then. <laughs> okay, so let, let, me, let me throw something at you maybe you mm. guys have thought this already so obviously we're mm -hmm. three we got we got obviously these board apes we got these avatars so someone who is an avatar uh, doesn't really reveal themselves but they're an avatar how do they join the platform or is, it, is that not an option but that's not but that's not what I mean by anonymous. I think it, what I mean is there is no real verification process 
on okay. so on on Instagram. So you can still have a username. Okay. Don't get me wrong. You can still choose what your picture is. Right. But right. you went through a verification process to, for me to see that you're a human being and okay. that you are <laughs> that you are part. <laughs> so that so that you know if 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 for some reason you decide that you hate this artist and vitriol starts to come out on on the AMA or the chat room we can identify who you are and remove you from on um, from from that AMA or stop you from communicating with that artist at least in a way that you can't do on Instagram because right now on Instagram I don't even think you have to put your email in anymore you put your username and a password and you're all set you can go and that's not what we're doing here yeah. Okay. So yeah, it's, it's, it's just a quick one on the onboarding. It's kind of basic KYC, but also no one can get access to, to any of the, the communities on site without having previously entered um, their billing details, um, and those being verified. So you know, obviously, we do have we do have like a freemium tier, like a pay as you go tier. So you, you don't have to pay for everything. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you can kind of dip in and out but you can't access any of it without having those on file. So it's a kind of, it's, it's a very basic KYC layer, but um, what, what that means is that if, if we end up having to um, uh, remove a user from an artist community because of trolling or, or, or you know, kind of like breaking community guidelines, um, if that user goes and sets up another profile, we'll know it's the same user because they have to put their payment details in. So they, they, like, but by doing this, we can we can protect um, the artists, but also the other fans, the community, they don't want to see that stuff either. You know, it's, um, we can create these safe spaces. And actually, I, I think that's, that's a really interesting point because you look at the way artists kind of, um, you know, come out with new material, they kind of hunker down and they go into themselves and they kind of write it and they share it with you know, their manager and their label and no one really sees it. Um, and I get that because, you know, they have to control the narrative and, uh, and the PR and all the rest of it. But there's another side to it, which is if it's shit, they don't want anyone to see it or to hear it. Right. Um, and, and I get that. But the problem with that is that when you put when you put that music out, it's kind of this hold your breath moment because, you know, you might be surrounded by yes men or you might be in a bubble or, or whatever. Do you know what I mean? So so you don't know how that reaction is going to be. And I, I think having a kind of a halfway house, a safe space where you can where you can kind of test demos and, and, and not even necessarily demos you, you can also you know you can figure out where where you know clusters of fans are that you didn't realize you can you can, you can find new tour locations you can ask questions you know um you can be honest about yourself your personality your struggles you can do all of these things you can't do that publicly it just you know the world's too brutal i don't like that that's the case but it's true okay so so tell me about if you're an artist that you signed you signed to a label like where tell, like, there's going to be a lot of people in these positions assigned to a label can they what incentive or how what approach would they take to join the platform or are you guys working with labels also um yeah like to tell me yeah we're, we're talking to talent that are signed right. and you know at the end of the day you have some artists that have decided to sign a 360 deal which means that the revenue that they make from Sonics, the label will be able to recoup. Or you have some artists that just have a deal which is focused on their recorded music um, and, and want to make additional additional um, money. At the end of the day, you know, it, it's really down to the relationship that the artist has with the label. You know, Lewis kind of spoke about this before. We aren't one of these Web3 companies that is kind of like, we're going to tear down the establishment and not work with no one and we're going to build the music industry from the ground up from tomorrow like no we are um 
more than happy to work with players that are already in the music industry and mm -hmm. us being a web two to web three platform it means that we can really be a bridge for a lot of these companies that do need to move forward as you said at the top of this podcast the music industry hasn't really moved in the digital space since streaming platforms and a lot of them are scared to do that we were having a call with one and we're looking at being an example of them or working with them uh through case studies to figure out how they should move forward with their own web3 strategy and i love that we it's not about you know denying the fact that labels own 75% of the music industry it's about saying how can we work with you in a way that benefits your talent that clearly wants to make more money but also helps you understand that the industry is changing and we want you to be part of that so do you think that these guys are they, they see what they see the changes you're talking about okay the this is what we're doing now and they've got the potential to make a lot more money as the artist sees that um what do you think that's going to change over time that they're not going to people are going to be more independent and they're not going to want to get signed yeah i mean yeah I, mean, I, I i said at the top you know people are going to recognize their own power and you have artists now who are being signed from tiktok with hundreds of thousands if not millions of followers and they're going to say to themselves i can actually um continue to make my own project and my own work without the need of a label or you're going to have some artists who you know my favorite artist is Beyonce and Beyonce was signed to Sony and I want to have a record deal and be signed to Sony because I want that to be part of my um story and I want to make sure that I can stand outside new you know Times Square with a billboard and say that I'm a Sony artist that is still a dream for a lot of artists and that's not going to go away anytime soon so I don't think it is a one size fits all for everyone I think yeah. that some artists are going to recognize their own power and like the the idea of being independent they don't really care about you know wanting to be with a label and you're going to have some artists that are like actually I still want to do that and I still want to be part of and we'll still want that I will still want to have that experience because that is my dream and I think that like what we're trying to do is create a brand that has the flexibility to work with artists that are independent, to work with artists that are signed, to work with artists that have been signed and now independent. Like, you know, it's it's hopefully an opportunity for many different kinds of people. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's, there's always going to be a place for, for, for labels. Like, um, yeah. I think like any business, they'll have to diversify their offerings they'll, they'll, and they'll have to figure out new landscapes. I think that's fair of any business. That's just a normal thing that has to happen. But yeah, I, I agree with Lee. I don't think, um, I think it would be very strange if we got to a place where every artist was independent because every artist is different. Some artists, you know, need independence and need their own space and will rebel against anyone trying to control what they're doing. Some artists are completely the opposite. They need the structure and the framework to navigate these things for them so that they can just focus on their art and nothing else. Yeah. And I think both of those are equally valid. And, and you know, the, the, the beauty of Web3 is that it can hypothetically, potentially tear down the system, man. Like it can do that. I don't, I think it's very unlikely that that will happen in the majority of cases because businesses will, will just diversify their, their understanding of the landscape. Um, I think what's more likely to happen is that a lot of really exciting inventions will be made that will provide bridges between what people don't know and what they want to do. And I think what you have, um, you know, with, and I'm talk, talking about kind of the music industry, you know, and, and then the Web3 music industry, which are very separate things, um, that are trying to, you know, trying to bridge that gap. I think there's like a fence in the middle and nobody knows what's happening on the other side of the fence 
right? I think Sonics is the kind of, you know, the bridge over that, right? Because, you know, obviously with our background and with our network, you know, we understand a lot of the traditional music industry. We also understand, you know, a lot of the tech industry and a lot of um, the Web3 industry. Um, so it's, it's about bridging that gap. And I think the same can be said of audiences. You either have people who are Web3 native that just don't understand why people are even bothering with Web2 anymore. And then you have people on the other side of the fence that are like, I don't understand what this is and it's weird and scary to me. Does it, I mean, you know, let's be completely honest about this. There's as much, as much positive innovations and positive press as there, as there are for, for Web3 projects. There's also a hell of a lot of negative press. Yeah. And I think it comes from a position of fear. And, and, you know, you look at the market now, it's being absolutely obliterated. Um, a lot of that has to do with the Russia situation and that's a whole other conversation. But, you know, people are using that and saying like, oh, this is the end of crypto. And it's like, no, it's crashed a whole load of times. It always recovers, right? And it always recovers bigger. And I think it's, you know, it's interesting that people will always have a negative bias towards things that they don't understand. The way to fix that is to collaborate with both sides of the fence right and make the solution in the middle and that's that's what we're doing but but also sean don't get it twisted you don't <laughs> think these labels are doing new contracts that say nfts anything that you do in web3 is mine don't get it twisted like this is already happening they're already rejigging these contracts to make sure that they don't lose out on any future success in this space with artists that they've signed so you know, so this is what it is. It is. I think is. You guys, I feel that based on your position, you guys are going to play a massive part on the onboarding process, which I think is important, educating people. I feel that from a creative perspective, a lot of people look in this, look in this space, think we can make lots of money, but then they doesn't, you still have to market yourself. You still have to put yourself out there. You still have to connect with you. There's still work to be done. Do you guys help people with that, the marketing aspect? Because I feel that that's what a label brings. A major would give them the distribution and put them out into the real world. And then they can connect with so many people to get the sales. But as an independent independent artist and you, you don't know how to market yourself or get yourself out there, what, what would they do? What advice would you give them? Or have you got- Yeah, I think obviously, you know, just- like some of our competitors there are we're hoping to work as i said with a full scope of artists mm -hmm. we want to make sure that we can market certain artists in platform but also there'll be artists that we will want to market outside in the real world and digitally as well and it has to be from from my point of view when i am speaking to people that are working with us in marketing it has to come across like there's a real balance between the artists that you know are established that we are working with because they're recognizable and people will take interest in the brand but then artists that are independent and we just support because they really get web3 or we really like their music or they're someone that we really want to associate with our brand or we want to do a long-term partnership and that means that working with them from day one to when they're a huge success and so absolutely i think that unlike you know maybe if you're talking about any fans or patron they don't really tend to because they're not music focused they don't tend to market any talent because we do have a focus here you know when you do see that market sonics marketing you will see us um wanting to market and create as much ex much exposure for that new talent as possible Mm. Uh, collaboration is a big part of Web3 uh, and are you guys going to put, are you going to have that as a possibility for artists on the platform to collaborate with other artists and create something together? Uh, oh yeah, um, oh yeah, oh yeah. It's not just, you know, it's not just collaboration with other artists, like because my experience is 
fashion, entertainment and um, music, it's collaboration with, you know, um, other brands outside of the platform and mm -hmm. helping to sync artists with, you know, new designers or new streetwear brands. If we're saying, come to Sonics, come and subscribe, the merch that's already on their website, you've already seen that. So we got to make sure that the, con the, the, the merch or the products that's on their platform feel like limited edition products, you know what I mean? And so it's not just collaboration with you know other artists which is absolutely something that we want to be able to execute but it's collaboration with you know nft artists us setting that up you know collaboration with fashion designers us setting that up um collaboration with production companies that can really help with um artist content or sonics content that will live on the platform i think that collaboration is you know other than content commerce and community you know if we're going to have a fourth c it would be collaboration it's all about that yeah and another thing we um we had a brief conversation before lee um and i was talking about it'd be great for an idea for to have the fans to be able to create um nfts for the artists so like well 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 sure. like photography there's there's gonna be a lot of talent in there is it well well <laughs> well i mean i feel like we've spoken about a lot sean yeah. if i'm being honest with you <laughs> ah, come on, you, 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 come on here. you don't hold nothing back it's all we're, we're, all, we're all transparent we're all transparent well, everything well you know if you know lewis has spoken a lot about us not inventing behavior and behavior that already exists is mm -hmm. fan created art of artists you know fan created merch of artists and so i think it would be almost rude for us not to allow fans to be able to do that on sonics right yeah that, that would be amazing i think like as a <laughs> but artists brought your piece uh at your nft which is imagine if an artist endorsed your piece you go back and you think about rihanna who sued topshop i think or river island i can't remember which one yeah. but she sued them because they put they were making t-shirts of her album on it do you know what i mean it's a big yeah. economy like um um uh artist merch that isn't by the artist you know what i mean and so if you imagine having a creator as you said that was making merch or making um you know nfts of that artist um and having the artist endorse that 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 um fan that's incredible you've made an influencer out of that 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 fan and so i couldn't imagine us not doing something like that are you gonna are we gonna have like the artists creating pft projects uh creating avatars and then they're giving the ip to the fans wow i mean <laughs> i mean sean <laughs> this, 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 i mean i feel like this, this is the behavior of the space i'd love to see that like there's so many opportunities but if these things you're looking at or is this something down the line that i mean that is definitely i would say a, a down the line thing i think though you know one thing that I want to make sure is that there is flexibility on Sonics and we want to make sure, and that's obviously something that is really important to Web3 is the freedom to do things. And so we don't want to create an environment that feels like it's stifling creativity in any way. And so I can definitely imagine all those things in some form being available on Sonics. So what about, um, probably uh, Luis, you've been talking on this inter interoperability in regards to, let's say there's a few more uh, other platforms or people have been collecting uh nfts of this this artist for a while and can they bring that wallet in and it, it links with your is that a possible link with your platform and then you can it will just all have to be in sonics 
Like, you can, so, okay, one of the, <clears throat> one of the most important parts of Sonics is, um, you know, and I'm, I'm gonna come back to this example again, the kind of like the bedroom shrine or the court board or the, whatever it is, you know, uh, fans ha have this, um, you know, deep seated need to collect and not just collect, but to show, right? So it's the collector's mentality and it's also the kind of, you know, the bragging rights or the, you know, the whatever, um, which, you know, so the, the, the fan profiles on Sonic so are where that happens, right? So you can organize, yeah, I don't know if you remember like MySpace and you could do your, your top friends, right? And you could say, like, right, 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 I'm showing my age now, but anyway. Um, what's the sorry, say again. What was the owner's name to this MySpace? Who owned it? What's his name? Uh, was it Tom? Tom, in it? Because he was everyone's friend. He was always- Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you first started, he was just there at his computer, like, with his profile picture anyway but yeah you could organize your top friends i think it was six you could have whatever anyway it's a weird segue but um but yeah with with, with your sonics profile you can you can highlight your favorite nfts and you can show people you know what's important to you because when you get an nft it's because you bought something that was important to you right um you know be that from another user or, or, or direct from the artist so you know that, that that's going to be a thing. I, you know we we are discussing the interoperability about bringing in other NFTs and displaying them in the same way. The the, the difference and, and also with Sonic's NFTs you can transfer them out as well. The difference is NFTs that are owned within Sonic's can be awarded um, perks. You know that the, the artist can inject perks into them as, as I've said, and they can be sold on the marketplace. Obviously they can be sold on other marketplaces too. A lot of the perks are awarded on platform. Mm -hmm. Um, and redeemed on platform, sorry. So, you know, it might be access to something in the artist community that's on the platform. It might be access to a chat and experience that the artist is creating on platform or, you know, a discount in their store or like a sticker even, you know, because there's, there's even like really sort of like low level simple ones that they can give to, to more people like, you know, chat stickers and things like that. So if you transfer those NFTs out um, to, you know, OpenSea, for example, to display them there, you can do that. That's fine. You'll lose the ability to use whatever that NFT gives you on the platform, but you can transfer it back in and it'll, it'll reappear again, right? Um, and, and similarly with NFTs that you transfer in for, from elsewhere, you'll be able to display them on your profile, but you know, they're not gonna have any perks injected into them. They're not gonna be, um, you know, so, so there's kind of, there is, you know, it's decentralized. You have ownership of your assets. You can move them as you like. There is another layer of, of reward on top of that, which exists within the platform. Okay, oh, cool. So are you guys looking into, obviously we're talking about Web3, Metaverse, massive buzzword. Um, <laughs> like, are you guys looking into doing something within the Metaverse? Because I've, you talked about collaboration earlier on, Lee, and that's digital fashion. I think that's going to be a massive thing and being able to wear, obviously, the merch or, or whatnot within these these realms, whether it's one you create or Decentraland or whatnot. Is this something that is talked about or looked to do in the future? We, um, we're looking at it. We're very early stages. Okay. We're not, um, we're not committing to, to saying anything about it just yet. Um, it may or may not happen. It's something oh. that we are very aware of. Yeah, but also Sean, I'm more focused right now. I think that the some, some of the metaverse projects I've seen have been great and some not so great. Um, but where we're focused is more about how can we take what we've created digitally and bring it into physical spaces? So how can we take the experiences that fan are having, fans are having on Sonics and bring them into physical spaces? So is it about adding more utility into their NFTs that they you know, get boarded with in, in person? Is it about allowing them to use their Sonics coin in actual event spaces? Is it about partnering with festivals and having our own stage 
so that we can promote artists in real life. These are the things that are more interesting to me than the metaverse right now. I think that it's not something that we can ignore because it is very important and is part of the vernacular when people are talking about NFTs and Web3 and crypto, etc. However, I'm more interested in how can we um, take what we're doing, as I said, in digital space and bring it into the real world. Okay, fair enough. So I want to know a bit more about you guys individually. I mean, are you guys collecting NFTs yourself? Like, is that something you're doing? Do you, are you into the whole PFP thing? Are you collecting music NFTs or anything else? Like, go on, Lewis, you can yeah. Okay, so for me, like music NFTs, as, as I said before, it's, it, it's very much about like master rights and ownership of that. And that's, I mean, look, as an asset class, I understand the value in it, but in terms of like, you know, my collector's instinct and, and cultural signaling and what I'm interested in, that's just not it for me. Um, and, and, and nor are PFPs. I do collect NFTs. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very selective and have a very tiny collection. Um, I'm, I'm a lot more um, in terms of, you know, if I'm buying for investment, I'm a lot more interested in crypto, which is obviously very painful right now <laughs> um, because everything's hitting the floor. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, I, I collect NFTs as well, but I, I'm, I'm very picky and have a very small collection. What about yourself, Lee? Um, no, I'm saving all my money to buy the Sonic NFTs and artist NFTs that will be on Sonic. So, That's unfortunately. Right <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, you can tell one of us is media trained, right? Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. So, um, okay, so it's, apart from, okay, we talked about NFTs, music, obviously, the platform. I was just talking about NFTs in general. I mean, it's, it's obviously disrupting the music industry. We talked a bit about the fashion side of it. Is there anything that you're excited about for the industries that you really think it's going to disrupt or hasn't disrupted yet that you think that the NFTs will be amazing for? Um, because it's more than art, isn't it? And it's going to be more than just, like you said, ownership of masters. So it's, anyone can answer this. Any thoughts? I mean, my interest definitely is, and it's so funny because I, I don't actually watch sports really. Like right. I might watch a few like Olympic games and tennis, like Wimbledon and shit, but I'm not like a huge um, uh, film, I'm sorry, sport fan. But like, I am interested to see, I mean, some of what I've seen recently hasn't been so great. I'm, they, I'm glad that they've been reactive to it and wanting to try things though. And I, I really like that. Um, I think that there's some athletes that have similar um uh a similar experience to musicians although it's very different because they get paid a lot more, but they you know some are questioning you know sports cards for example um and the fact that they don't get any money off of those sports cards and so it's very interesting to me to see how sport is going to react to web3 i think there's obviously a lot of money in it which is really really interesting and you know you know sport fandom is crazy as well and i think a lot of what we're seeing right now is the foundation of what people for example have supported um nba teams and stars forever have already been doing so i i i, I i'm really interested to see where sport go with it because i think they're going to get there a lot faster than music or film or, or any of those or fashion for example um so yeah Okay, what about you, uh, Lewis? I, you know, I think there, there has been some incredible innovations. I think what POAP are doing for me is just incredibly interesting. You know, I, I spoke a lot about, um, you know, how users can kind of, you know, culturally signal and, and, and show what's important to them. Um, it's also something Gary Vee talks about a lot. It's like, why do you buy a Ferrari instead of a Nissan? Or, or, or like, why do you buy Adidas shoes instead of, you know, 
Primark or whatever, right? Like there's, you know, there's a reason for all these things. Cultural signaling is very important, but also, you know, memories. If you look at the behavior on, on Web2 over the last decade or so, it's all been about showing everyone what you're doing. And I think tokenizing that, and, and also the interesting thing about PubApp is it's, it's a very broad brief and it can be, the, the use cases are, are huge. The, 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 the number of, of applications for it are enormous. I think um, real estate is, is a massive one. Like how that hasn't gotten bigger is, is beyond me. There's, there's an interesting company called Labs Group, which are doing really interesting stuff in, in real estate. And I think is, is, is fantastic. Um, like, but what, what I also find interesting is like when you're trying to explain what a smart contract is to someone, the easiest analogy is actually the deed of a house, right? So like the fact that like the, 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 the real estate industry actually has been doing this for centuries, right? You know, like blockchain is catching up, right? So what, what I find interesting about that is that it kind of, it, it's already how that industry works. Um, so I think that's like a really easy fit. Um, I think photography is, is a massive area for growth. Like it, it just makes so much sense to me that because if you think about the experience of, of photography, you, you take your pictures, you put them on what's that site like Flickr, or you know you might up, like upload them to libraries like Getty or whatever, in the hope that someone's going to find them amongst the sea of, of other photos, and then and then you get a fraction of a crappy license fee, right? Do you know what? I'm going to go and take pictures of what I want. What Web3 enables creators to do is find a niche and just bully it, right? Like, because normally it's sort of like, oh, I need to do something that people are gonna like so that I can find people. But what Web3 enables is, no, I'm gonna do my niche and the people are gonna find me because they're gonna understand the niche. And I think that's a lot more empowering for creators, but I think photography is one of those industries that's so, so ready to be disrupted. It'll feel, you know, on behalf of the creator. Um, I think Maker's Place is interesting or anything that's doing, um, you know, like fine art sales, because again, it's that whole thing of, verification and authentication of, of originality um you know that's so important for, for art and antiques as well although antiques is an interesting one because um you know if you think about the, the you know perhaps i'm being a bit stereotypical but the people involved in that industry tend to be kind of older and, and not so much connected with, with technology but I, I think again it's, it's right for, for disruption um but yeah like that's that's a very big and broad answer but there's there's just so much happening that's that's exciting i think it's um I think it's amazing and back to a point of interoperability i mean there's there's, there's so many of these things that could plug into each other i think poap for example it, it would make a, a hell of a lot of sense of, for like users on sonics going to a concert and you know maybe the artist is creating poaps that they share with everyone that was at the concert and they can verify attendance from the tickets that they you know the nfts that they get on so like all of that kind of stuff i think is amazing I, i'm gonna i'm gonna throw uh, something out there and i want you guys to kind of tell me give me an example if an idea of how that would work so I think, okay, what about marriage, prenups, with NFTs? Wow. <laughs> um, and so, so the, yeah, give me, now you've heard, you, know, you probably know where I'm going with that. It's like, how do you think that will work? Do you think that's a great case of when you get married, you use? No, I don't. I absolutely don't. And I'll tell you why. When there's a prenup, it means generally, typically, it means that either one partner is significantly, significantly wealthier than the other, or they expect to be fairly soon, right? Um, I think the decentralized and transparent nature of assets on the blockchain would terrify the wealthier partner from, from proffering that as, a, as, a, as an idea, because okay. they wouldn't want to show the other, the other person all their asset. From if you agree, uh, there's, um, I mean, this is going off something else, but if you agree to something, so from, from very early, this is not where I saw this conversation going. <laughs> it's just anything we, we got, we go everywhere with it. So if you agree to something, something early, then 
then that's it. Like you don't even have to go to court. If there's a split, then there will be the money distributed, <laughs> however it was set up. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree. I agree. I think it's a wider question. I think um, contracts, and I mean paper contracts, you know, traditional contracts, becoming smart contracts, I think is going to be a real slow burn, but it's definitely going to happen because for all the reasons that you've that you've said, you know, it's litigation is ruinously expensive. I think for everything, anything civil or business related, it makes sense that the contracts would be smart contracts because it removes the threat of court. It's automated, right? The problem with that is you're putting a lot of um, rich and influential people out of work, right? You know, th th there's a lot of people make a lot of money out of understanding the law and representing people, right? So, I, you know, it, it's, it, it's give and take, and that's why a slow burn because I think you know the lawyers are all going to become programmers and, and, and actually that's no no that, that's not a joke that's that, that's literal because you need programmers to create your smart contracts and you need lawyers to create contracts so I think that's where that's going to go but I think that's going to take a long time okay Lee you see you see your you see your thoughts on that I mean the thing is is that like from the divorces that I've seen a lot of a lot of the stuff that makes it complicated isn't the stuff that's written it's all emotional yeah and so it's sort of like I feel <laughs> I feel like I think it'd be really good <laughs> <laughs> I think it'd be really good just because like for the romantic I mean, yeah <laughs> always I mean I think it would be amazing I mean I mean now I have something to look after so I get it I think if I was the person who was broke, it would be it would be like miserable. If I was the one who was joining the marriage and didn't have anything, then it would be a horrible oh, thing for me. You agree on this is what you you agree on. You don't have to agree. You have to agree on it. You don't. Have, you get married and you. Agree. That's true too. So you, that's true too. These things. Can I, I think it's great. I think it's. I think. I think anything that is going to help that process, which I think sometimes can be very unfair to one person in you know in 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 the duo, I think is is great. So I think. I think, yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's just I, I can see what's going to happen first thing tomorrow morning is uh, our blockchain developer, Ignis, who's fucking genius, by the way, um, is going to get a really weird email from Lee. Yeah. Can you I'm not engaged. You know, Lee doesn't have anyone to have a print up with at the moment. No. But, you know, no. I, I'm, I'm sure he's going he's gonna to get that in and get it, get it done. 100%, so, yeah. because I'm such a fan of pre-nubs and post-nubs and any other nubs you can have. So... 100%, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. So, okay, cool. So, look, we've talked about so many things, obviously, the platform, which is amazing. Um, when is the launch? When, when, when are you actually getting everything out there? You want me to say that one? Yes. So, um, we are going straight into case studies over the summer. We're working with an assortment of artists, a lot of the kinds of artists that I mentioned earlier on. Um, but we are looking towards a soft launch later on in the year. And then a, a major launch, which you'll well, will get tired of seeing us. That will be next year, February. Um, but we're we're using the summer to sort of get our learnings about you know what the live offering will be, um, and then um, towards the end of the year, really start to hone in on that. And then next year, really shout and scream about everything that we're doing. So you know, it it in a in a sense, it's um, the summer is really exciting time for us because it's really us you know starting to show everything that we've been working on um but i think you know next year as i said you're going to get tired of seeing sonics on your feed and outside on your billboards mate <laughs> okay.
Oh, I also I forgot. Hopefully, um, we will be at your event as well. Yeah, I don't know if you've already started. That's yeah. Something, yeah, that's something we can keep quiet for now. But yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> something we can do, uh, bringing it to the UK and showcasing what you guys are doing. Yeah. Um, where can you got? Where can we find you guys? Like anyone that wants to contact you guys individually, or if you just want to go through Sonics, like where, where's the best place? Yeah, so um, sonics.app on Instagram. Sonics.app is the website as well. Um, if you're following us on Twitter, it's just Sonics, S-O-N-X. And if you want to follow me individually, it's Lee Gray underscore. Um, and for me, um, obviously all the business ones are the same, but for, for me on um, uh, Twitter, it's Lewis Sonics, uh, L-E-W-I-S-S-O-N-X. Um, and on Instagram, it's Lewis J. Donovan, L-E-W-I-S-J-D-O-N-O-V-A-N. Love that. So guys, there you go. Like this is the new platform that is preparing for the fans and the creatives. Well, any, I'm sure you're going to move away from musicians in the future, aren't you? Because Who knows? Great <laughs> 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 now, but yeah, look, thank you guys for coming on and dropping so much value. Um, I think it's just so what you guys are doing. Well positioned, credible uh, people talking about, I believe, what they can deliver and what they're going to say they're going to do. So, um, yeah, very exciting times. But thank you, everyone, for listening. Everyone stay listening and stay blessed.